Okay, you guys, this is a warning. This podcast is done under duress and extremely austere uh, austere conditions. About it, John Bowditch and Josh Antonuccio, forgive me. You guys are whizzes at what you do in production, and per, certainly Brian, forgive me. But uh, we're working under difficult circumstances. Rotations is all about uh, having interesting people on and asking them interesting questions about science, medicine, art. Some listeners may find the content that we discuss objectionable or disturbing. Okay, let's see if we can get Adam and Harsha. It's just going to... This is the kludge time. Everybody in the country right now is trying to figure out how to work around things that they get really used to. For instance, um, you know... I have a nice setup in my office. At least I did it until I, until I uh, took it apart the other day. Uh, but that sound, that's because there's no pop filter there. Hello? Harsh? Yes? Can you hear me? Yes. It's Hi, doc- uh, this is Dr. Fredericks. It, it is Dr. Fredericks. And I've Dr. Fredericks... Dr. Frederick says allergies, and I, I, I didn't take my Zyrtec again. Oh, uh, yes, so, I can hear you. So, Harsh, do you want like a half an hour, and I'll call you back? Oh, uh, yeah. I, no, I'm actually good now. I'm not doing anything. I just had to run to Kroger with our ATA, I wasn't sure. But, yeah, I'm free. Okay. So, what I'm going to do is, do you, know how, can you, do you know Adam's number? Yes. Okay. Here's what I'm going to do, Harsh. I'm going to run in the house. I'm going to take a Zyrtec. And then I'm going to come back out. Do you know how to link your phone to Adam? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, he lives, he lives at Summit, so... Yeah, but you're, you're supposed like, to... be on the same phone. No, you're supposed to be away from each other. Oh, okay. Yeah, remember social yeah, I distancing? Can, I can link. Yeah, so let me call you back in just a second. I'm going to go in and get a Zyrtec, take a drink of water, and then we're going to do this podcast. Now, here's how it's going to work. You can tell Adam while I'm getting my Zyrtec. I'm going to go through several topics, and you guys can just chime in, and we'll, we'll talk about them as we go. And I'm going to use it as if I'm educating you, okay? Okay. Make sense? Yeah. Okay, so I'll call you yep. back in just a second. And I'll call Adam. And... Okay, no problem. I'll be, I'll be right back to you, Harsh, okay? Bye. Okay, we're going to try to get Harsh and, Bur- and Adam on the phone. Uh, you're going to hear a lot of BTS today that you normally wouldn't hear because I edited it out. But uh, this is the way we got to do it in our new times. And I got to be really careful about where I speak. Yep, we are Marge now. That's perfect. Hi, Harsh. Is Adam there? Hey, I'm here too. Hey, you guys aren't next to each other, are you? No, no, sir. Okay, so you're linked in on your phone. Yeah. Yep. Okay, good. Okay. So what I'm going to go ahead and introduce rotations, and then we're going to have a conversation. Does that sound good? Yeah. Okay. Conversation about? I'm going to tell you. I'm an educator. I'm reverting back Great. to old school. You guys, you know, I like the flip classroom thing, sort of, but I also am an old school teacher. So we're just going to have a conversation. I'll bring up the topics as we go, okay? Don't worry. I'm not going to give you a gotcha. Yes, thank you. Okay. You ready? Just, just hold your peace for just a second, okay? Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Todd Fredericks, DO of the Ohio University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine, where 
just the best education on the planet is not occurring right now, but is occurring because we've gone from an entirely new curriculum to try and make a new curriculum for COVID-19. We're going to call it the COVID-19 curriculum. And uh, then we're going to go back to the flipped classroom curriculum, the student-centered learning experience, which we worked hard for. And then this little virus came along and everything went crazy. But I thought for COVID-4, this update, there's a lot of things we got to talk about. And frankly, you, you'll know about them because I'm informed by the fact that my days are not short. If I told you that I only spend two, well, I've been working a little bit extra because one of our doctors is over 65. He doesn't have COVID-19, but we're protecting him. I work about 12 hours a week in clinic now, um, plus I work nights periodically. The other thing I gotta tell you is, uh, well, opposite of that, is I spend most of my days on email. In fact, if you hear the dinging and the buzzing in the background, that is the West Virginia National Guard sending me taskers and uh, assignments to try to uh, adapt to the public health response in, the, in West Virginia. So just bear with it. The other thing you'll notice is this, this uh, recording is very live. I had to move everything from OU to my office at home. Thankfully, my wife remodeled my office. And so once I get the sound under control, it should sound a lot better like it normally does. At least I'd like to think it does. But for COVID-4, for COVID this update, I have two of our students on the line. And I'm going to introduce them. I've got, um, well, why don't you guys introduce yourself? Adam. Harsh. Sure. Uh, I'll go first. Yeah. Um, my name's Adam Barone. I'm a second year medical student here at OU. Um, I am an HPST student, so I'm very familiar with Dr. Frederick. And we are all on a new adventure, online medical school curriculum starting tomorrow. So. It's going to be a fun journey. Yep. I, uh, I'm first to tell also a second year medical student. Um, I actually have been on a podcast with Dr. Frederick in the past with Armando Senegon. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with him, but yeah, you're really excited to see what the rest of the semester is going to be looking like on, um, on online. Yeah. Not going to explain. Yeah. So, so you guys, do you think you're going to be doctors? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Of course you are. Of course you are. Uh, Okay, so I have a bunch of topics, and we're going to go through them. And I I want to make sure people know that listen to this, because I know there's going to be a lot more people listen to it than normal, because it's going to go out across a lot of places that it normally doesn't get zapped out to. Everything I talk about today is the truth as I know it today, okay? There are some things I'm going to say... And this is a really good lesson for young doctors. I don't know. Young doctors should always be able to say, old doctors too, by the way, should also always be able to say, I don't know. And there's a lot of things we don't know. But the things we are going to talk about, we do know very clearly. Okay? So, so did, okay, so Harsh and Adam, did you happen to watch Governor DeWine's briefing today? Oh, no. I just got the news like I was studying, but I heard that. It's just put us on lockdown starting tomorrow at midnight till April 6th. Yeah, it was it April 6th? I haven't read that order that far. So, is it April 6th? Yeah, that's what. Yeah. Okay. How about you, Adam? Did you, did you catch the governor? Uh, I did not watch it, but uh, I kept up with him on Twitter and I watched some of his updates from there where he laid everything out, too. 
Yeah, so I I watched it. My my, uh, there's I guess the older people, you know, those of us who are not nearly as connected into social media as you guys are uh, with other things. We we tend to look at the look at those things, and so um, he did a great job. But he was dead sober, and he's dead serious. And Dr. Amy Acton is dead serious, and they are not joking around, right? I mean, what do you guys? I should ask you guys. What do you What do you know about this thing? I mean, you had you had immunology. What, what do you guys think about COVID-19? Or SARS-CoV-2? Yeah, I think there's still a lot of uncertainties. Like, we don't actually know if even with our protective equipment, if we are still taking the right precautions in preventing. Like, there's so much more that we still need to learn about the virus. There's a lot of unknowns out there. How about you, Adam? Yeah, uh, I think the intimidating part is just extremely transmissible, and then it turns into something more severe in a, a relatively small amount of people, but when it's so infective, that number is a very large amount of people. Um, I've read a couple, I've tried to stay on top of some of the research, but there seems like there's a lot of coming in different directions some of the stuff on ACE inhibitors or ibuprofen or all how it enters and everything like that. Yeah, seems like more reach is definitely needed. So it's interesting that just now, just so you guys know, and I have the link, and I'll try to get it into show notes here, but I have an absolute update. It says, who updates statement about taking ibuprofen if you have COVID-19 symptoms? So what what do you suppose who said about taking ibuprofen? I'll make it easy for you. You can, yeah, go ahead. They said they aren't sure and continue taking if it helps your country. If you go to Twitter, the World Health Organization, that's at WHO, it says, question, could ibuprofen worsen disease for people with COVID-19? Answer, based upon currently available information, the World Health Organization does not recommend against the use of ibuprofen. So they talk about how that got started, and it came out of a French came out of the French health ministry that suggested that it, that it could ibuprofen could worsen coronavirus, um, and it was attributed to health minister Olivier Varon, who was a neurologist, and he tweeted out Saturday, this just Saturday, taking anti-inflammatory drugs, ibuprofen, hydrocortisone, etc., could be an aggravating factor of the infection, and. He was doing that based upon some COVID-19 patients in France that experienced severe side effects because of the -the over-the-counter drug. And so there's been a lot of concern about using that. But as an anti-inflammatory, because, you know, I mean, frankly, if you don't have serious symptoms and you're positive for COVID-19, what do do they do with you? What happens to you guys? What what happens if you have a patient that happens to test positive but doesn't have... A raging fever, just has maybe a mild cough, um, otherwise mild symptoms. What do they do with those patients? Do you know? Tell them stay at home. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. I guess take medication for a fever if needed. Yeah, convalesce at home, right? So, so there's there's literally going to be millions of people who have aches and pains, uh, something like a mild flu, maybe just a really bad cold type symptoms. They don't just they just don't feel good. And so getting information out 
uh, is really important. And um, so that's why, that's why it's really interesting to me to be watching this in real time because you have one person that blasts stuff out on social media and then you have a large organization that says, look, we've we, we looked at all the data we know so far and we don't think that that's a problem. Have you guys noticed that? Yeah, there seems to be a lot of very anecdotal or case study stuff that's being highly publicized, and then there has to be a little bit of walking back or just restating uncertainty. Yeah, and yeah. go ahead, Tarsh. I'm sorry. Harsh. Yeah, no, I was like, yeah, I agree with Adam. You agree with Adam? I agree. Yeah, I agree too. And and you know what we're fighting right now on the public health side, and I say we because I'm involved in that. Oh, someone just dropped off. You guys still there? Hello, hello. Let's try getting harsh back. Something happened. I lost my phone. This is going to be real kludgy, guys. You got to bear with me. There you go. Sorry, allergies. I just took a zero tech. We are back. I know this is so. You know, one of the things I'm really enthusiastic about about the this whole deal. Yeah. Do you know what it is? No. So my sister, who's in California, has cable internet, and it's awesome. Like I can download an entire movie in a matter of a minute. Right. Well, out where I live, we have this crap product from Frontier. They won't improve the, the infrastructure. And so what I'm, I know is going to happen is the federal government at the end of this is going to take a dramatic leap forward in terms of demanding that the nation has. And this isn't official policy, guys. I'm just telling you what I speculate. The, they're going to demand that the nation have fiber or cable Internet access. Everybody will. And you know why? No. What do you think, Adam? Um, I mean, this is like a case study of working, everyone working from home, bandwidth issues. So probably going to point that issue out. Yeah, I think that's an, you can see your guys are really insightful. We, we, we're doing this, this uh, flip classroom thing, and this is exactly what it's about. Although I'm giving you Socratic method now, right? I'm giving you, I'm asking you questions and having you figure it out yourself, which is kind of what we, we do. But yeah, it's exactly right. We have a strategic deficiency, and we've just identified it in a big way. So it's not just information push, it's information pull. If the governor wants to get a message out, he has to be able to do it in multiple streams that people are, are aware of, right? And if there's big chunks of the country that can't get internet access or can't do it in a way that's meaningful or can't maintain a, a phone call, then that's just wrong, right? Because those, those pockets of people are isolated and then you can't help them be educated about a public health emergency. So that's, that's what I'm really glad for because I'm sick and tired of living in the Stone Age out here, um, even though I feel pretty safe out here, because um, I can't talk, right? That's great. You guys are figuring this out pretty good. I told you this wouldn't be too bad. So you guys kind of touched on symptoms spectrum of COVID-19. Do you know what the age group is right now of patients we have, the age range? Did you happen to pick that up? Hello? Um, in Ohio, I saw we have age, I believe, 1 to 94, and I think the average was like age 54 or so. Yeah, I think that's about right. Harsh, did you see something similar? Or have you watched it that close? Oh, I did not watch it that close. 
You're out running. I, that, so you guys who are listening out there, Harsh was out running the other day, and I was on my way to work at the psychiatric hospital, and uh, I saw Harsh running by, and I waved at him. And I, I thought that was pretty cool. And that's why I thought, because Harsh, what were we supposed to be doing about this time of year? What do we plan on doing a rotations episode on? Uh, we were going to talk about uh, and see how it has changed in terms of first year that we went through compared to what the first years are going through now. Yeah, and board preparation. Yeah, that that, that kind of got sort of sideways, didn't it? Yeah. yeah. But oh, we're changed. It would definitely change. And don't worry, you guys. I'm going to find you guys in June, and we're going to talk about boards, okay? We'll definitely talk about boards, and we'll talk about the first and second year and, and that sort of thing. So, yeah, the age group, we're looking 1 to 94. Uh, there was just a confirmed case of COVID-19 in Washington County. And what do we know we can reasonably assume, uh, assume about positive cases of COVID-19? What can we reasonably assume about that when we hear there's a positive case of COVID-19, knowing what we know about how testing is being done? There are a lot more um, cases out there. It's just, I feel like with the shortage of the testing right now, the more and more testing kids we get, we'll get more positive. Okay, that like, that's good. The numbers are going up that much. It's just, we're not, we don't have enough tests to figure out how many people there are that are positive. That's absolutely true. What else do we know about those cases? What's the strategy for testing right now? Who gets tested, generally speaking? Sorry, I couldn't hear you. The strategy for what? Detecting it? For testing. Who gets tested? Who do we choose to use these limited number of tests on? Who, who, what's that population that's getting tested? What do they look like? Or what are, what are their, why, would we, why do we know to test them? Ah, yeah, those at risk. So like anyone with a pre-existing health condition that puts them at more risk or specific healthcare workers or people like that who may be at high risk of uh, contracting it. Yeah. Anything else you want to add to that, Harsh, that you know about? I mean, I, I'm not sure specifically how we are doing this, but it makes more sense if you are trying to save someone that has a comorbid condition is more likely to be severely affected compared to like a healthy individual who will have, who has like moderate symptoms and may or may not have COVID-19 and who is more likely to survive. Yeah. So just today, New York State said there will be no more drive-through testing. It's all going to be targeted testing for the critically ill because they're they're running through test kits. You know, did the strategy... Yeah. For, oh, did you, you hadn't heard that, huh? No. Yeah. So... The strategy, and a lot of people are confused about this, why we just don't test everybody. Well, first of all, it's a limitation, a logistics limitation. We just don't have enough test kits. Second of all, there's some weird stuff about the test that if you are not symptomatic or you just have mild symptoms, you may get false readings on that. And so the test tends to be more reliable the sicker a patient is at determining if it truly is COVID-19. And so the strategy is if you have an asymptomatic patient, you know, they're walking around, they got a runny nose. I know I don't. I got allergies. I know, guys, what my sniffles are from. The, the, if you have that patient, well, they're probably going to be fine. But if we're trying to make a determination of whether we're treating a severe influenza 
versus COVID-19, the treatment strategy is very different. Do you guys, have you read up on that at all? I'm actually, I know I don't know uh, too many of the details of the treatment differences. How about yeah, you? Yeah, same. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and and I don't expect that out of you because it changes. You know, you see um, uh, hydrochloroquine or hydro... Uh, oh, we're going to do it again. <clears throat> Let's see if we can get him back. Back. I know you are. Yep, we're still here. So every time that does that, I'm just going to silently curse the internet provider. Um, so y- you see these things about hydrochloroquine and the the, uh, the the other drugs that are used. First of all, those drugs are used for people with rheumatological conditions, and there is a problem with overtapping into them. Right? Uh, it's those drugs are widely used to treat people with severe uh, rheumatological problems and immune problems, and so. You know, there's some promising evidence that talks about the use of azithromycin and other drugs, but it's all very preliminary, right? But it's not influenza. Influenza is treated differently, okay? So you want to make sure that you reserve the test kits for people who are seriously ill. But the problem is, in public health strategy, is um, that for people who are relatively asymptomatic, they get a false sense of security, don't they? Can you see how that's happening? Yeah. Yeah. Because if you're one of those people with COVID that has no symptoms or you have a cold-like symptoms, maybe even mild flu-type symptoms, you know, you might be willing to rush right off to the doctor's office and try to find a test. But most of those people don't really need a test. They just need to quarantine for about how many days, you guys? What do you, what do you know about the quarantine period is recommended for this right now? If you have symptoms, let's say you really suspect you have COVID-19 or have been exposed, how long are you supposed to sit on the sidelines away from everybody before you're considered to be okay to try to come back into normal operations? Sounds like 14 days right now. Yeah, what do you think, Adam? You agree? Yeah, I had heard the, the two-week number, but I am not sure if that it was uh, had anything to actually do with viral Well, the weird thing is, is that I use consistently because it's what I know based upon the most reliable data that viral shedding can be anywhere from two to nine days before a person becomes symptomatic. I don't know that there's been a large enough cohort study, and I'm not sure we can trust the data completely coming out of China. There's a lot of reasons for that, but um, I will just say this, that I'm very cautious about that data that comes out of China. Um, But I would just say that if... If it's two to nine days, if I quarantine someone for 14 days and they don't exacerbate symptoms and they've been around no one else, there's very little chance that they still have COVID-19 or have not beaten the infection and moved on. You guys have any idea what the treatment course numbers look like for someone who gets severe COVID-19 to what we estimate recovery times to be or the total disease progression, how long it should be? I'm not sure. Uh, I know know I've heard that there can be some sort of uh, permanent uh, sort of scar tissue damage to your lung, which is like just, uh, I guess, permanent. 
Yeah, that's absolutely true, Adam. I'm going to call you back again. Man, this is Stone Age type broadcasting, isn't it? Again, the internet system. What a horrible, horrible thing that you guys will fix. Yeah, we're going to get better at this. I can guarantee you we're going to get better and better at this. So if I look at the if I look at a severe case of COVID-19, okay, I'm going to do the math for you. Two to nine days of asymptomatic viral shedding. You become symptomatic. The acute course of the disease is about 10 to 14 days long where you just don't feel well. And then we think that it could be upwards of 14 days after your symptoms resolve that you could still be contagious. There's some data, some studies that show it could be even three weeks long, okay? So if you do the math, you're looking at about 37 days from time of inoculation to time when you're probably safe to go back out and about a little bit, certainly not having contact with people, but with retesting, at about two weeks after, two weeks of convalescence, retesting you to see if you are if you're showing positivity anymore preferably with serology that we would look and look to see if you have antibodies i'll be honest with you i haven't looked completely at the convalescent uh, follow-ups yet but i think that's about right so you know it's hard for people to get around the idea of how long this shelter in place or lockdown or a movement order which it's funny when you listen to governor's talk they use different terms in ohio i think governor dewine says hey we're just gonna stay at home order you know, it's kind of weird how you look at it culturally. So it doesn't scare Midwesterners, right? They like they like the you know. Do you notice how if you ever listen to Governor Dewine, he always talks about his wife. You ever notice that, you guys? Still with me? Yeah, yeah, we hear you. Uh, no, I haven't noticed, but he I guess likes to appeal to people's humanity. Yep he he always talks about his wife Fran. And he always has some kind of, he talked about his grandpa today who planted uh, daffodil bulbs. Even when his, his dad knew that he had uh, pancreatic cancer, he planted daffodil bulbs knowing that his children and his grandchildren would see them come up in the spring. Uh, Governor DeWine's really good about that. He likes to give positive things. And, and he's not incorrect in doing that, by the way, you guys. This is not a slate-wiping disease. This isn't like weaponized Ebola where everybody's going to die. This isn't it. Do you guys understand that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I want you to feel that way, right? Uh, so because a lot of people, they're either one side or the other. They say there's nothing going wrong. Ooh, I am going to be angry. Mm. Next time we do this, I'm going to try to get... I forgot all the Skype rig stuff, so I, I should have brought all that in, and I could have done this through my computer instead, but I, I forgot all that stuff yesterday. Did you, do you know what the med school's like right now when you walk in? You guys haven't been there, have you? It's, there's tape everywhere. Every door is taped shut. Every door is taped shut, and it's got you know indication that it has been thoroughly cleaned. And uh, so, the, oh. yeah, massive efforts on the part of custodial staff to try to get ahead of this stuff. And so I felt a little guilty going in the other day. I had to get this stuff, and I didn't touch anything. I didn't absolutely have to, and that all stuff came home with me. But it was kind of weird. But um, So we talked about that. What about, um, oh, so the real problem is, is that you have people who don't think anything's wrong with them. And they're still running around, right? They're still getting together in big groups of people. 
But this is a lottery, right? We don't know who's going to get severely sick because it's probably a combination of genetic factors, um, viral load, uh, you name it, uh, comorbidities. You just don't know who, who's going to get sick. And everybody thinks, well, it's an old person's disease. It is mostly elderly people, but it's also some younger people too, 30s and 40s, that you know, some of these ER doctors who are really critically ill right now are younger ER doctors. And they, it's probably related to the amount of exposure they got, the, the viral load that they took in in one shot that overwhelmed their immune system. So I think it's really important that people get their head around it. And what do you guys know about social distancing? It's a very popular term right now, that's for sure. Yeah, what does it mean? But Yeah. All right. So ideally, like, you're not supposed to stay away from anyone as much as possible, or at least they recommend six feet, or, you know, if they're, if they're near you, I guess, in the same house, it's not that way, but it's really hard. I mean, you have to constantly think about it. Hey, you know, why is it hard, Harsh? What's the normal distance that Americans are used to working at with one another? Give me a good, give me a number. I would say like two to three feet. What do you think, Adam? Yeah, I mean, like in a conversation, probably like a foot and a half, and then, uh, I mean, living with someone, you obviously share much closer contact. Yeah, I think most Americans are pretty comfortable culturally at about three feet. So what we've asked them to do sociologically, anthropologically, I guess, is double that distance. And why don't why are what happens when people double the distance away? What does that What does that do? What does it make? Give me Give me what, what do you think happens in that to them mentally? What are they thinking? Give me some words. I think it automatically makes you kind of scared or like skeptical of people. It's kind of, at least for me, and you sort of assume everyone is infected or something. Yeah. I think you lose that trust that you have. You're like, oh, like, you don't trust me? Like, when I say I don't have the disease? Like, like you don't know that. Yeah, it's a bit awkward, doesn't it? Socially, it's awkward to be that far away. It feels uncomfortable, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it feels almost like, you're, you're, again, that idea of trust. I, I don't trust you to be close enough to you. That's a huge challenge to get through people. People in society, pe- people, human beings, don't change rapidly, right? They have to take time and get buy-in and understand why we're asking to do that. But do you know why six feet's chosen as a distance? What do you guys think about that? No, I'm not sure. Is that a... Uh some sort of distance for respiratory droplets. Say it again, Adam. Is, it, is that some sort of established distance for respiratory droplets? I'm not sure why that was chosen. Yeah, what do you think, Harsh? Yeah, I was thinking on the same line, either like that the respiratory droplets, like how far, or the virus, how far it can travel yeah. in terms of a sneeze, maybe. Yeah, you guys are dead on with that. So if you fire out a respiratory droplet with a sneeze, well, sneezes are even more dramatic. That can go 15 feet, right? So, I mean, that's at high velocity. But let's just say a normal cough. You're looking at about, uh, you know, something less than six feet before those droplets, which are heavier than air, start to fall out and head for the ground. And so six feet is a reasonable distance. How do you guys judge six feet, by the way? You're out and about. How do you judge six feet? 
I mean, because we've told you to stay six feet away. You don't come with it. You don't. You typically don't carry a, a tape measure around. So, what are you guys doing to make sure that you think of six feet? Honestly, I haven't actively thought about like, oh, like if I'm talking to someone, I want to make sure I'm six feet away. Mm-hmm. But if I had to guess, if I had to judge based on, I would just probably think like, oh, like the person that I'm talking to, like if they were to lay down, like am I at that distance? Oh, like that, how far it should be from them? How about you, Adam? Uh, yeah, I haven't actively measured, but I would say like uh, your arm length and then their arm length. Your hands are touching, probably too close. Yeah, you're supposed to touch each other's hands. No, no, if you're touching. That's like probably closer than six feet apart. Yeah, you probably shouldn't be touching each other's hands. So, yeah, but if you did that, if you put your arms at length, that's a that, it can be about five feet or so. I usually think of a pickup truck bed, a standard size pickup truck bed, and a little bit more. So, where you could comfortably lower the tailgate of, say, my Honda Ridgeline to the back end of the cab is about six feet. Um, you know, a sheet of drywall is eight feet or a sheet of plywood is typically eight feet long. So helping public to understand those visual references when they're making that distance choice, I think is important because most of us, like I say, we don't carry a ruler around with us. So how do we figure out how to make six feet work? It's a tough one, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it is. Okay. So I want to talk about this this PPE, what's PPE, you guys? Personal protective equipment. Absolutely. So give me some examples of personal protective equipment. Gloves, gown, mask, face shield. Yeah. So we have a shortage of that, right? So who should be wearing what? Do you know what a PAPR is? P-A-P-R? Uh, I do not. Oh, is that one of those uh, respirators, maybe? It sure is. Let me just see if I got a link to that, because I'll have to put that up in a minute, too. There we go. So, when you look at a, a PAPR, a powered air purifying respirator, how does a PAPR work? Do you have any idea? And I'm putting you on the spot. You people are listening to this. You got to give Adam and Harsh a good a good set of props because they're they're doing this as a favor to me. So I'm not trying to make them look foolish. I'm trying to use them as a prop and a tool to help educate. So just when you get a chance, just give a shout out to old Adam and Harsh because they're doing a great job here. How does a PAPR work, you guys? How do how do you think that works? Um, I'm not fully sure. I assume there's some type of filtration of air in and air out. Okay. What do you think, Harsh? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking, but I wasn't sure if if it's using maybe suction or there's a filter with really small that doesn't allow anything but air to go in and out, and you're using the battery to pull that air. So typically, a, pa- a papper works in, in the way that it only sucks in air and blows air out, okay, in the sense of there's a, a high-efficiency particle filter, HEPA filter, you wear on your back with a, with a very powerful fan, okay? It sucks air from the ambient area around. It runs it through the filter, purifies it, puts it up through a tube that then blows out through a helmet you wear on your head, 
such that no pressure, no nothing can come into that helmet that hasn't been filtered. It exhausts unfiltered usually. Okay, it could be filtered, I suppose, with a secondary circuit, but it's uh, as part of that circuit, I should say. But it's typically going to blow air out. So typically, a PAPR is used for an uninfected person because there's no risk of them, right? You're not going to you're wearing a helmet, so you're not going to blow droplets everywhere. Excuse me, and you don't have known pathogens that you're expelling. But what you want is you want positive pressure in that helmet so that no negative bad stuff can come in. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. okay, go ahead, Harsh. Did you have a question? No, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So, no. so there's a big problem right now. You see it in the media, and people are wondering why. why so we have, the, we have the National Guard running around, uh, and some of them are wearing Tyvek suits and Pappers, and they're doing all sorts of stuff that looks super protective, or they're wearing an N95 mask. I actually had one fitted last week at the hospital. So we have these varying degrees of, of personal protective equipment, and they have varying indications. What do you think a, an ICU nurse working in a COVID, oh, by the way, if I say COVID cohort unit, what does that, what does that mean to you? A COVID cohort unit. The you think or you know that are COVID-19 positive? Like mm-hmm. on the same floor, maybe? Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. So we're cohorting known COVID-19 cases together. Why are we doing that? You're trying to minimize the exposure to other patients who are obviously in the hospital because they're sick. So you don't want to expose them to the virus, potentially. Yeah, it's absolutely true. And, and we also have to establish hot zones and cold zones, Right. We have to know, we have to, because do you, what do you think it's like to wear heavy duty personal protective equipment? Does it make your job more efficient? Definitely not. No. It makes it really rigorous. And you know what? As doctors get tired, they start to take shortcuts because they're exhausted, right? And so that's how they end up contaminating themselves is, you know, their masks are covered with COVID-19 particles, their PAPR masks are. And then if they forget to decon themselves, typically it varies in terms of how decon's done. Sometimes you go into a shower and the whole shower turns on and bathes you with disinfectant. And then you wipe everything down, still fully clothed. And then you start stripping stuff off in a sequence that keeps you from getting contaminated. If you look at the Army's Research Laboratory for Infectious Disease, USAMRID, there's up to bio level four containment in there, which is if you're dealing with things like the hemorrhagic fevers, Marburg, Ebola, that sort of thing. Those people are in full pressure suits that never contact that atmosphere because it's so dangerous. And they're even working in hoods, right, with that stuff. But it's so deadly. Measles, by the way, is highly infective, right? It's, 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 it's more infective than COVID-19. But um, so that's what, that's what that's for. You have the hot zone. So you mentally know I'm going into a place that is very dangerous. That's where you're going to see PAPRs typically used. Any place where you have known people who are really sick or who you really suspect are sick, that's where you're going to see PAPRs used. And that's where you're going to see the Tyvek suits and that sort of thing. What do you think about the N95s? What do you think those are appropriate for? Do you guys know about those masks? The N95? Did I lose yeah, you Yeah, there's a particular matter. Um, I think it uh, filters out 95% of particulate matter, or uh, that's what it stands for. Yeah. 95 per- micron, one of those. Pretty good, right? 
pretty good. So, so when you look at the N95 masks, they're never used by themselves because what, if I put that mask on and I have a patient who I know ha, who has um, is relatively asymptomatic, they're not actively shedding, I'm not doing anything that's going to result in aerosolization of body fluids, that sort of thing. Let's say I have a patient that tested positive for COVID-19. They need a routine uh, health check for something, their ear hurts, okay? It may be, may be acceptable for me to be in an N95 mask. Okay, because they're not actively coughing. I'm not going to do anything uh, that's invasive that could aerosolize blood or other bodily fluids. But what do I have to make sure I'm also wearing when I'm wearing that N95? Two things that come to mind. A face shield? A face shield. I got to wear goggles, a face shield. Yep, because you can absorb it through your eyes, right? Mucous membranes. What else do Mm -hmm. I want to always have on on me? Absolutely, gloves. No, you guys are thinking the right way. You guys are going through this. This is great. You guys are going through it. So, um, yeah, it'd be great if I could put everybody into a a papper. Do you know what a papper costs, by the way? We just bought a whole bunch of them on my other job. Do you know what they cost? No. I guess pretty expensive. What do you think, Adam? Pretty expensive. <laughs> yeah. How about how about uh, about nineteen hundred bucks, sixteen to nineteen hundred dollars a piece. And right yeah. now you're seeing lots of two hundred, a thousand being bought at a time. Incredible, huh? So so we can't what get. Uses do you get out of those? Uh, we as long as they're properly maintained and properly kept and properly cared for. I don't know what the life expectancy of one is. Probably the life expectancy of the motor. Um, the face shield will probably inevitably get scratched over time. They have to be sterilized. That that takes they take a hit with that um, because sterilization and itself can be pretty destructive to to equipment. They're typically distributed on the order of one per person, and they keep their own papper and they maintain it and they they look after it. Um, but that varies too. But yeah, I mean. They're multi-use things, but they require a lot of care, and they're very expensive. And so right now we're trying to figure out ways to make sure that we stage who gets what appropriately. So I'm an uninfected physician. I want to work with relatively asymptomatic COVID patients. I'm not probably wearing a PAPR today. I'm probably wearing an N95 with goggles and gloves. What about the clothes I'm wearing? What happens with those? What, what should I be doing appropriately? Should I, should I be wearing my, my t- I'm wearing a Chico State t-shirt today. Should I wear my Chico t- State t-shirt and my, my, slat, my, my uh, pants and go into the hospital and see patients if I thought that they had low uh, symptomatic COVID and then come home? What should I be wearing? Probably wearing the clothes that you're wearing in the hospital and then change back to your street clothes when you're leaving. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Adam? Yeah, it would be nice if you had house laundry or something to deal with that, but then that raises another point of just be careful washing all of that stuff. Yes. Um, Keep going. Yeah, you definitely need the separation between house and work. Yeah. So so if I told you that my process for work is this, and I've been doing this for a while now because you know people you know, people think I'm crazy at school. But you can't get away from experience. And so back in the day when I was your age, I was going through chem. We thought we were going to end up in a chemical or biological war. And we're kind of in a biological war now. And I can use that word. Someone gave me a hard time on social media today. They say, we're not in a war. They've crushed the economy. And I said, we haven't crushed the economy. We're shifting to a wartime economy. 
we're, we're focusing efforts in a wartime economy. And thankfully, Governor DeWine called it a war today, so I feel validated. But it is a war, right? We're fighting a war against an enemy that's going to hurt a lot of Americans. And we have to get our mind around that. And wartime economies mean shortages of some things, an abundance of others, but all of it's that's abundant is directed to supporting the fight. Do you guys understand that? Yeah. Yeah. So when I go to our economy and thought process, we have to, right? It takes a fundamental shift. And I told you before, getting people to understand that three feet's too close takes a while, doesn't it? That's why you're going to continue to see hotspots pop up as people don't comply because they don't see the enemy, they don't feel badly, and they do not they do not feel viscerally the risk. Now, I will tell you, boys, what's going to happen here in a couple of weeks is you're going to see um, hospitalizations and deaths start to really rocket on the exponential side. Okay, like it'll, it will, I don't know that it'll be as bad as Italy, but it's going to be significant. You're not going to be able to avoid noticing it. Then you'll start to see more compliance in society, but. It's a really tough fight. I was going to tell you about going to work. So when I go to work, I put on a pair of scrubs. I have some clothes underneath of them, uh, just so I'm not naked in the parking lot. Uh, and then I go to work. I have a pair of clogs that I wear only in my house. My clogs to go from the parking lot to the hospital are in the back of my truck. And you know why they're in the back of my truck? On the, in the bed? You know why? Uh, you don't want them in your truck? Well, that's one. That's one reason. Harsh, do you know why I might keep them in the back of my truck? I don't have anything on the, over the back of my truck. Just so you know. Oh, no, not really. UV. So COVID is very susceptible to ultraviolet radiation. It's also very susceptible to soap. You can wipe it out with that. If you put something out in the sun for four hours, almost everything, but with the exception of anthrax, is dead if it's microbial, because the sun is a wonderful deliverer of sterilization in the form of ultraviolet radiation. So when I go to work, those, those clogs stay in the back of my truck because they're being bathed in UV light when they're outside. I wear those clogs, flop my shoes out, I walk into the hospital, I take my clogs off, and then I put a pair of shoes that only stay in the hospital. Okay, and the reason why is I'm afraid of fomite transmission. I do not want to pick up a fomite on my shoes and carry it into my car. Then if I am working in my office, I don't wear a mask or goggles, but as soon as I go up on the floors to see patients, I immediately put on a mask and goggles. Why do you suppose that is? Just a mask and goggles. I don't wear anything more elaborate than a surgical mask and a set of goggles and gloves when I touch them. Why do you suppose, I just, why do you suppose I'm wearing them even though we don't have any patients that we know to be positive for COVID-19? You don't know, like, if you may come in contact with, like, other healthcare workers with, like, someone's family member or someone that you're not sure. Like, you know, the patient may not have it, but you don't know about anyone else. Mm -hmm. How about you, Adam? What do you think? Yeah, I'm not really sure. I mean, it's uh, like you getting at it's like a broad network. So you come in contact with everyone, and then everyone may come in contact. There's a potential for contamination, I guess. So I'm going to get to that in a minute. You remind me of that about my, who I come into contact with. The reason why, guys, is what if I'm an asymptomatic shedder? What if I'm the person that's bringing it in? I can't be tested. I shouldn't be tested, but I'm asymptomatic, and my family's asymptomatic, my wife, my children, or my, son, my one son that's at home right now. You know where my other son is right now? This will be interesting to you guys. 
You guys don't have any have any idea. He's, I know, he's I, gonna go to uh, he's about to go to training with me. Yeah, he's he's going to be an army helicopter pilot. So he's in what we call SEER school, Survival Evasion Resistance Escape School. So he's actually outside of communications. I, we won't be able to talk to him, even text him for three weeks. That started a week and a half ago. So he's out in the woods somewhere, learning how to eat snakes and build fires and how he's going to survive on the land if he gets shot down. So he's probably in a complete complete communications blackout right now. He probably doesn't even know what's going on in the country. But for my wife and my son, my other son. Um, none of us are symptomatic, but what if I pick it up somehow? I don't know because I, I don't really feel sick. If I bring that in the hospital, what happens if I inadvertently sneeze or cough and I'm positive as a shedder that's asymptomatic? That's why I'm reverse isolating. And I started that about a week ago, a lot, lot, lot longer, uh, or a lot longer than most people did because I was watching data out of Washington. I was watching data out of Dayton when the first case popped up and I realized I have to become a reverse isolator right now. Make sense? Yeah. So, yeah. so when I go talk to patients, I have my mask down if I'm more than six or seven feet away. And then as soon as I get closer, I say, I'm putting a mask on. Because if I happen to be sick and I don't know it, I don't want to give you get you sick. I've not had a single patient complain about that. How about that? Then when I'm done with work, right? First of all, when I take off my gloves and my goggles and that sort of thing, I, I use germicidal wipes on everything. I wipe everything down. I wash my hands before and after. I'm meticulous about it, but I've always been meticulous about it. So my nurse and I are OCD about that, and people laugh at how much we want to be clean, but it's, it's just normal routine for us now because that's what we always do. I, I do spend a lot more time wiping my hands down with Clorox, okay? I just do. I don't care what my hands are like at the end of the day. I just want to be make sure it's gone. Wipe my gloves off between patients, take them off, put them in the biohazard, wipe my goggles off just in case if they sneezed or they sniffled a bit and we don't know. And then I get off the floors, right? Walk away. When I go home, I walk out to change my shoes, put my transit clogs on, walk out in the parking lot. I take my scrub top off, my scrub bottoms off, uh, swap clogs, throw those clogs in the back of the truck, and I throw my scrub top and bottom. Do I put them inside my truck with me or where do I put them? In the back? I do. I have, a, I have a bag that's just for those clothes, and it goes. it's in the back of my truck, so it's nowhere near anywhere I'm sitting. There's some interesting things that came out of China just today. It's not vetted. It's not been peer-reviewed, but one of the things the Chinese reportedly are saying about their autopsy data is they think that you can bring those particles into your house after contact with positive patients, and that some of the infections may have occurred because people were wearing dirty clothes home. They sat down on their furniture. They took their clothes off later, somehow touched that spot, and there was enough of a viral load, enough virus there that they were able to inoculate themselves. I don't know if that's true yet. Um, I just don't want to take a chance. And so I keep that bag in the back of my truck. Again, UV radiation is bathing it for at least a half an hour on the way home. It goes into a laundry basket out in my garage. And then when I got enough of a load, I go out, I pick it all up, I drop it directly into the um, laundry room, which is just off my garage. I dump it in. I throw detergent in because I know detergent will kill COVID almost immediately. And I wash it all. Everything gets washed daily. When, I, when I'm out in that garage, though, I close the garage door. I strip everything else off. And I walk straight to the shower and I take a shower. And that's probably the single best thing I can do to decon myself. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 It's a whole new way of thinking of things. Now, let's just say I'm out, say, like a a public public relations person. You're going to see a lot of community contact teams. Do you know what contact tracing is? Have you ever heard that term? You are trying to figure out if someone was a positive and like 
who else do they come in contact with for the past so many days that you think they may have had the virus? And then you go in and you check on them. That's exactly right. And so one of the things that's happening right now on, in the West Virginia Guard is we're developing contact, contact tracing teams with the public health officials so we can go out and find people we know were positive and trace down who they may have come into contact with so we can start mapping who could be infected and educating them and saying, you've been exposed, please stay home. Now, staying home, what does that mean right now in that context? Can you just cannot leave your house? you got to, I mean, if you are, you got to self-quarantine and then if you are living in the house, you got to make sure as you were seeing like, you might be the spreader, so you've got to be careful about that, and you got to look out for everyone else. Yeah, for we talked about 14 days. What about the healthy? Can they leave their house under a, a stay-at-home order? Uh, I don't think you're supposed to unless it's a, uh, unless you have a deemed essential job or you need to go to the grocery store or pharmacy and get food or medicine or something. Yeah, well, that's that's pretty close. But Harsh, can you go for a run this afternoon? Um, I can, as far as I am making sure that like I'm not running near anyone, or if I'm in an open environment, like on the bike path or something. Could you I think and I should be safe? Could you or, and could you like, and Adam go running? Could you and Adam go running together? Not, not together. Sure, you could. You just got to maintain your spacing, right? You got to be yeah, more than six, feet. seven feet apart. You got to be really thinking about it. But you can go out and run together. You can go out and take a long walk together. You can go out and talk about school. You can do whatever you want to do as long as you're maintaining that social distancing. And just so you know, being outside is a really good thing um, because that's hygiene, UV radiation, right? So you're outside, solution to pollution is dilution. That atmosphere is, is whatever you're venting off is getting diluted in the atmosphere. That's really good. Exposed to UV, that's a really good thing. And it's really important that people understand they can go outside. They need to go outside. They need to move because they need to make sure that their lymphatic system's working, that they're healthy, their joints are moving, their immune system is supported by, um, by, by movement and motion. Uh, one other thing I want to talk about real quick, you guys, and then I think we're going to bring this to a close, but what do you know about additional hygiene at home, things that we're finding out that may be important for managing or preventing COVID-19? Dead air. I'm not quite sure. I've always washed my hands anytime I come home. I know that's always a good idea. Um, and then my, my thought would be you have to be careful on what you're bringing into your house because, like you were saying, it could be fomites of whatever worker or whoever prepares your food or anything like that. So you have to be careful with where you place things and stuff like that. Yeah, one of the things that I started doing is when I come back, I wipe down my phone with an alcohol-like pad. Because I know, like, when I'm out, I'm touching my phone 24-7, and I, like, I'm washing my hands at the same time, like, then I'm going back to touching my phone. So that's one thing I recently started doing. Have you guys become more conscious about uh, where you put your hands? Do you, do, you, do you inadvertently touch your face much anymore? Try not to, but it's, it's hard. And when I do notice, I take my hand away from my face, but... You know, yeah, we're trying to think about it more and more for sure. Yeah. So the thing I want to talk to you guys about, too, is hydration. 
Um, there is some, again, this is stuff coming out of China that is completely rumor right now. We don't have any papers that I've seen yet. I'm looking for them. That's part of my job with the Army is looking for them in our, in our task force, in our working group. But it appears that on the non-vetted, non-peer-reviewed side, that hydration is good not only to keep your immune system functioning properly, right, but there also may be an oral transmission route with COVID that, if, that some people may get it in their mouth, and then if they inhale it uh, and it doesn't go into the gastric intestinal tract, goes into their lung from that method, um, that's bad. So oral hygiene is really important. Drinking frequently so that you get your mouth rinsed out and down into your GI tract where it's highly acidic and coronavirus disintegrates in, in, a, in an acidic GI environment. Those are all really important. So you want to make sure that you're uh, being, you know, engaging in good hydration, physical fitness, movement, just a good vigorous walk because it's going to help your stress level and stuff. Um, I want to tell you guys, too, did you, do you know what the delay is right now for ClickList in, in Athens? How long do you have to wait? If you order something, that's Kroger, right? If you order online, how long does it take to get your order today? If you order it today. I'm not sure, but I, I personally haven't used ClickList. But I, I, all I know is like I went shopping to Kroger today, and I didn't see anyone pulling like food for ClickList that they usually do. Mm-hmm. Adam, what do you think? What do you think the wait time is if you put an order in today for ClickList? How long do you get to wait to pick up your groceries? Um, I'm not sure. Uh, I would guess it's usually within like a day, so maybe a little bit busier. I'll go two or three days, I guess. It's about three days. I called the manager today because I wanted to find out just where they're at in terms of their, their supply chain and, and delivery. It's about three days if you order today. And you know how many employees they have working ClickList right now at Kroger in Athens? Not sure. I'm sure it's increased. 100. Wow. So, yeah, 100. So my wife has been hesitant to use ClickList because she felt that it might interfere with other people, and she's worried about the ClickList employees being overworked. Now, Kroger has limited their hours from 7 to 10, so that gives her plenty, plenty of time to disinfect everything, wash everything. Their employees can get home, have dinner, have a sleep and stuff. But ClickList is a pretty good thing because you don't have to go in the store and be in close contact with people. They deliver it to your car. I'm a little over paranoid because I don't see any more patients. I've closed my private aerospace medicine practice down. I, I've told all my airline pilots I can't see you. I don't want any patient contacts. I don't want any contacts outside of my family or the hospital. I want to know exactly who I've talked to, when I've talked to them, so I can track if something happens to me. It either came from the hospital or it came from a very small group of people. That's why I'm working remotely with the Army right now. There's a group of us doctors, and we're all geographically separated because if one of us gets sick and infects the others, we got a big problem. So we're, we're geographically di- distanced from one another, but we're in constant communications with one another through, by the way, WhatsApp and iMessage and email, okay? And uh, so... That is important. You guys, I know my contacts. I know who I'm talking to. I know the only people I could have come into contact with. Now, if they came to my, my side yard, I would. I, if someone came up, I'd have a chat with them. I'd, I'd say, I'm going to stay 10 feet away from you. I'm a physician. I don't want to be inadvertently affected and infected and not know it, and I don't want to go in the hospital and give it to patients, okay, because then we get a real problem. But, but for click list, those people, uh, 
I'm encouraging people to use it. You might have to wait. You have to plan. But it keeps you from going in that grocery store and it's still putting money into Kroger's pockets and keeping the, 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 the chicken growers moving and the bread makers bread making and the, and the beer makers brewing and the you know Diet Pepsi people making Diet Pepsi and Tostitos people. And then hopefully what we can do by getting out of those grocery stores and waiting a little bit is we open them up for the elderly and people who aren't real good with the internet who really need to go to the store physically and be and get their things. Does that make sense, you guys? Yeah, that's a good idea. I do too. And so one last thing I want to talk about. If I buy those groceries, people have been touching them, right? They stocked them. They've, they've been there. What, how do you suppose I handle those groceries? Yeah, I don't know. I was I've wondered the same thing myself. If you should like wipe everything down, or I mean, you would hope that all the workers would take precautions before they start packing everything. But that still doesn't mean that they don't know if they're infected or everything like that. So it does bring up a lot of questions. Human behavior, right? People just do what they're going to do. I always say this: people will do what people will do. And so the process is pretty simple. I separate everything out into dry goods, canned goods, things that are not perishable. Okay. Remember how I told you how much I love the back of my pickup truck? I'll leave those things in my pickup truck and I'm parking it in my driveway when it's not raining and I'll let it sit there for about mm, three or four hours. Because what I tell you sterilizes stuff? UV light. UV light, right? Mm -hmm. For the perishable stuff, the packaged cheese, the, the milk products, the sour cream, I, take, I literally take a spray, a spray bottle of Lysol's cleaner and I spray everything down. I let it sit there as long as I can until it dries. And then I wipe it down with something disposable and toss it in the trash and I go wash my hands. That's probably the best I can do. Now, if there's obviously visible soilage, like you saw a big loogie or something on the milk bottle, you can't disinfect what is covered. So that has to be removed. So you got to put some gloves on, wipe that off, and then spray it down with a disinfectant cleaner like Lysol or high-content alcohol, something above 70% isopropyl alcohol, or a ble mild bleach solution, anything like that. But that's, that's, that's the ticket. Pretty simple, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, it's a lot to remember, but yeah. Especially yeah. someone who's not very um, up-to-date or, like, not doesn't have a good background in um, science. It's kind of hard to, like, come up unless someone tells you to do this. Yeah. So when I, the, the things you'll hear me, hear me say sometimes, you guys may be familiar that I, I throw these little things out because they're things we've said or I've learned from people in my years of service is slow is smooth and smooth is fast. That, that reminds you to slow down because you can do it fast and have to repeat yourself three times and still be slower than you would be if you just did things deliberately and thoughtfully one time. Okay? And um, I think that's a really important thing to remember is just take your time, think about what you're doing, and keep moving. And, and you're going to be fine. Does that make sense? Oh, the simple things are the hardest things. Oh, excuse me, I should say this. The simple things are the most important things, but the simple things are the hardest things. So we've told everybody, wash your hands. We've told everybody, you know, make sure that you're distancing. It seems too simple, doesn't it, to, to take on something that's, that's doing such dramatic things to our life right now. Would you agree? Yep. Yeah. It's simple, but you have to start there and get everyone to do that first. Yeah. 
The simple things are the most important things, and the simple things are the hardest things. Okay, boys, you've done a great job for me. You're young men, I'm sorry, but you know I'm old, so I, I, I tell my own adult children, I call them boys, and I just, I just appreciate you. You have no idea how grateful I am to be an instructor at the school you go to. I, I just think every, every time, I, I think one of the most heartbreaking things for us is that we don't know when graduation will be because we look forward to that every year to see people going out and, uh, and um, going into their lives and going into their residencies and starting their lives. And so I just really appreciate you. And uh, did you learn anything today? Yeah. Yeah, I really learned a lot. Thank you for sharing. So yeah. go ahead, Harsh. Yeah, there, there were a lot of details that I didn't know. So thanks for sharing those. Yep. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go in. My wife is looking at me through my office window, and she's saying, come in for dinner. My office is behind my house, just so you know. And I, my, my window that I'm looking at looks right at the garage door. When she comes out and starts waving her hands frantically, you never want to upset a Appalachian woman. So you got to go in there, and when they wave their hands, it means it's time to eat. And then I have a briefing with... Uh, the uh, surgeons working group here at six. So do you have any final thoughts for me, you guys? I mean, this is a big change in your life. You guys have gone through a lot here in the last week or two. I mean, just remember this, this has only been going on for 10 days, right? Or so for us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, yeah. I just feel like we don't know what's coming here in the future. So all we can do right now is, you know, try to follow the safe practices that we do know and wait for new research to come out and see what all we can do to help ourselves and help other people around us. Any thoughts, Adam? No, it is weird. I mean, it's obviously a very big change just to the way you think about everything and go about your daily life. Uh, but everyone's having to go through it at the same time, which I think is interesting to watch how you react and everyone reacts and being there to support each other. Yeah. Are you guys going to be good doctors? I think so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, of course, sure. Of course, sure. You have, you have a very, very, very likely chance of being good doctors. And you have a very, very likely chance of having a very bright future. And you have a very, very likely chance of moving out and having learned a whole lot of new stuff about something that is a sentinel event that you guys may never witness again in your lifetime, but it's certainly going to change everything you think of. You know, people in the Great Depression in this country, if you met them that went through it, they were notorious for saving everything. Because there was nothing. There was shortages everywhere, commonly. People who went through World War II as young people saved everything. They were taught that because there was, they just, there was nothing. There was no access to anything. You couldn't get stuff. That's not the case right now. Right now we have production in the country. It's just keeping people calm enough to understand that this war that we're fighting against these, this virus is not something that takes out our, our, our wheat producers it's something that takes out our grandmas and our sick people and it's just silent and, and you don't know when it's moving and that's why you have to stay home. And so I just think that you guys are going to be so much better as physicians than because you're, you're never going to forget to wash your hands. I can tell you that again. Um, you're just going to know it has to be done. Um, you know what else I think you ought to think about? You know what's going to be in need after this is all done? What medical specialty? Hi, and I. How about pulmonologists? I too. Yeah. Yeah. 
You're gonna if you're a pulmonologist, you're you're gonna be a it's gonna be a seller's market because we're gonna have some people that have some residual lung lung problems. They're gonna need those guys. So, you guys be thinking about that positive thing. Are you guys studying for boards right now? Yeah, and then your exam tomorrow. You have wait a minute. You have what exam do you have tomorrow? Yeah, we have an exam tomorrow. Are you guys ready for it? Yeah, I think so. Sure. <laughs> okay. I think you'll be fine too. I think you guys are going to do just fine. Okay, so listen, I'm going to wrap this up. I, I appreciate you, and um, and maybe you'll entertain me again in a few weeks. We'll have another chat and see where we're at. Does that sound okay? Yeah, yeah, it sounds great. Thank you for the invite. Yep. Make yeah. sure you, make sure you're telling your friends, Adam. I know you can go into same ops and you can talk to them about it. Remind them about the hygiene and harsh. I know you got people to talk to too. So. Just remind your remind people of what you learned today. It's important. It's going to keep people healthy, okay? And get outside and run and get outside, get some fresh air and open your windows up and exchange the air in your apartments and stuff and make sure that you're keeping things moving along in the ways you can, okay? Yes, sir. Okay, guys. I'll talk to you later. Take care. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Okay, you guys, uh, I am, it's true, my, my Appalachian wife is waving at me frantically, and she's telling me it's time to eat. So I'm going to go in and eat dinner, and then I'm going to go to a uh, general officer's brief, and we're going to have a big conversation. And uh, I, I did this a little differently. I wanted to make sure that um, two things were done. One, you heard the voices of young people. These are going to be the future doctors that take care of you, and they are seeing our behavior. If you're a physician out there, you need to be modeling behavior. When you're looking at social media and you're losing your mind or you say things at a turn, you are, you are modeling for young people that are going to be practicing this profession. I implore you to model the best behavior. I hate to use the term stiff upper lip, but it's true. They are looking at us to be the representatives of what is true, what is calm, what is measured and controlled. And um, for those of you that are doing it, for my friends in the ER, for my friends in ID, for my friends in ICU, for my friends in critical access hospitals, my colleagues, uh, folks working uh, with people who are failing, cardiologists and pulmonologists and respiratory techs and, and, and nurses, I just have the most profound respect for you. And I, I ask that you would share this widely, let people listen to it, remind them of, of what uh, we need to do as a country and as a people to go through this together so we come out stronger, and I do believe we will. I would also mention that you should watch the Ohio Governor's Briefing. Governor DeWine and his team are doing great. I would tell you that in West Virginia, um, the other night Governor Justice gave a very impassioned speech. He is a sensitive guy, and he was he was speaking from the depths of his heart, and I think people saw that and could see that in him. Um, I would tell you that Dr. Amy Acton is all over the place. She's working with WVU right now. She's in consultation with all sorts of area regional health uh, health health concerns, and uh, there is an incredible effort going on to get this under control and help the American people um, weather it in the best fashion they can. And so, with that, I'm going to sign off, of course, um, and I appreciate you listening. I'll bring COVID five around in a day or two, uh, and uh, we'll just go from there. So, thank you, and take care. Rotations is the, well, 
we hope, weekly podcast of all things science and medicine, and is a product of the Ohio University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine, which supports media and medicine, which is where this thing is housed. You can see it on mediaandmedicine.com slash rotations. It's also a uh, product that is supported by the Scripps School of uh, Journalism, and uh, my friend uh, Professor Plow works there. The views that we express on uh, rotations are unopposed. We interview that way so everybody has a fair chance to have their say. And they do not reflect the official or unofficial policies of the Ohio University, the Ohio University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine, the Scripps School of Journalism, or any other entity, U.S. government, state government, federal government, basically, if we put it out, it's because we thought about it as individuals. This episode was produced by Todd Fredericks, was hosted by Todd Fredericks. We had Adam Barone and Harsh Patel on as our as our guests, and uh, it's ultimately edited by Todd Fredericks on his old MacBook, which only has iMovie. I, the COVID prevented me from getting my new MacBook with Final Cut Pro, so you just have to deal with it. It's also got a considerable amount of noise in the background because I don't have all the dampening material I have in my normal studio. Uh, if you want to add comments, please do go to Facebook. You can use my Facebook page, T.R. Fredericks, F-R-E-D-R-I-C-K-S, on Facebook. Please don't hate. Be nice. Add positive comments, constructive, negative, or positive, or otherwise. We want to make the show better for you. You can also see us on Twitter, watch what we have to do on Twitter at uh, Rotations PCAST, or um, you can, uh, well, shoot. You can go to MediaMedicine.com if you want to, uh, but uh, there's your options. And with that, I'm out. <laughs>